Hey, it's Bernsey. And I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast, a podcast where we re-watch all of the episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, except for now when we're watching Star Trek Lower Decks. And this week we'll be talking about episode 9 of Lower Decks, Crisis Point. Cue James Horner music. Oh <laughs> boy, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Paul, I have to tell you, this may be my favorite episode of Lower Decks. This is such a um, good episode. This is such <laughs> a good episode. Um, I, I was on this episode's side almost from the word go, but but definitely when we get into the movie parody stuff. Oh, yeah. The opening is great. Um, right. Yes. The opening is, yeah, is great. Um, yeah. And this, this episode never stops. Um, just never stops hitting all the notes. Um, yeah. It is, well, actually, I'll, I'll toss out the fun trivia at the start. Um, I was going to say it's 22 minutes of just, like, nonstop just greatness. Uh, but it's 23 minutes of nonstop greatness um, because Mike McMahon got an extra minute added on to... Uh, did you read about this? No, huh? Uh, so McMahon got an extra minute added on for the pan around the ship, the, like, you know... <laughs> <laughs> that um, is... And he pitched that. He said, hey, if it's going to be the movie, like, you know, motion picture, we got to, like, just do this. And I need an extra minute to do it. And the studio thought about it for a bit and said, and they greenlit that. And apparently, he then came back to them and said, hey, can we also do a theatrical cut that will get released separately and have two hours to do the, the ship pan? And they said no. Um, but <laughs> that is the wrong choice because I would so watch <laughs> a theatrical cut of this episode where everything else is the same, 22 minutes, and then two hours of them <laughs> flying around the Cerritos <laughs> with that music playing. I was at, at the point where, and, and, and we'll kind of, we'll work our way back to it here because, you know, there's, there's some setup to do. Uh, obviously, you know, we, we start with just a, a standard episode of, uh, of, you know, the crew in a situation and something happens and basically mariner is trying to it's the, the mariner freeman conflict right of yeah the, the mariner freeman conflict and mariner wants to violate the prime directive because <laughs> one you know basically one group of people on the planet is eating another group of people on the planet <laughs> and and she's like you know I, I guess you lizard people should not be subject to rat oppression anymore <laughs> because the rats are eating the lizards um and then instead of sentencing mariner to go to the brig which is pretty you know pretty common occurrence she sentences her to therapy um and so basically what we get is mariner skipping out on actual honest to goodness therapy and taking out her therapy uh in in the holodeck by reprogramming boimler's (laughs) simulation his almost perfect simulation of the entire ship that he uses to like try to brown nose better basically um and she she plugs in a movie script in like five seconds flat basically (laughs) well you you pass through some great stuff in there too um we talk about voice actors a lot um and Mm -hmm. the therapist right is played by um paul tompkins um who 
I think is a great example of what um, I sort of talked about a, a, a bunch of episodes ago, but right. Paul F. Tompkins does not have a, uh, a, a sort of voice that you would not recognize. He's a very recognizable voice, Yes, but he makes choices about this character and changes his voice enough to reflect that he's playing this character um, that he's not, he's not just like playing Mr. Peanut butter, right? He's not just playing the, right. like the Paul F. Tompkins, you know, he makes actual choices of how he is going to play this character. And so his voice sounds like this character and not just Paul F. Tompkins. Um, yeah. And I think that's to the great credit of Paul F. Tompkins, but I think they're also choosing this voice talent really well to be able to do these sorts of things. Um, yeah. Small sidebar, Gary Cole is the voice of Da Vinci in this one. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, I mean, Gary Cole, how how much more do I have to say about that? <laughs> like, to, I mean, you know, a lot of people will know Gary Cole just as, you know, the the guy from Office Space, you know, right? Yeah. But, but he he's got a uh, lot of voice work. He's, he's done a lot of voice work. He also has a has huge sci-fi chops because yep. he was the captain of the Excalibur uh, in the Babylon 5 spin-off series. Yeah, he's done so. lots of work, but to just yeah. get him to do Da Vinci, which is how this all starts on the holodeck because Boimler breaks in on them. Well, Tendi and Da Vinci uh, skeet shooting, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trap shooting. Shooting, shooting some clay pigeons. <laughs> yep. yep, shooting some clay pigeons on the holodeck. Um, <laughs> with Leonardo da Vinci, you know, like you do. Yep, exactly. Um, so yeah, I want to talk about all of this because what, what this is so much of a combination send up slash love letter, uh, to all of the Star Trek feature films that it's, it's, it's almost dizzying to try to keep track of them all. Oh boy. Right. Yeah. But, you know, right from the opening credits, when it just knocks you on your ass with that James Horner-esque, like, you know, Star Trek II Wrath of Khan style score. And then they're constantly dodging they're ducking. The, yep, yep. the credits as they're flying at their head. Um, I, I I had, you know, a deep belly laugh at that point. But, but you know, I mean, there's there's plenty more to talk about here. But then I want to go ahead and go back to this um, this ship sequence that you that you talk about, because. I, I'm glad you shared that. I did not know that they specifically got extra permission to be one minute longer so that they could just give us, you know, it's the, the proper obligatory... motion picture. Yes. Yes. And it's, it's so like when you think about it, it's just the goofiest thing, right? Like, it's like, we're going to put our main characters in a shuttle pod and just have them fly around the ship and look at it in awe. Um, but it's, it's a reference to, you know, a lot of Trek films, but specifically oh, again, Star Trek, the motion Star picture Trek one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because that they have, you know, it's I, I'm difficult. A, I'm a defender of Star Trek: The Motion Picture. I will. I, I I don't know where you you come down on that one, but I will say that even as a defender of Star Trek: The Motion Picture, like thirty percent of the movie is you know looking at the Enterprise from space. Yeah, I mean, Paul, you got to know where I land on that because if thirty percent of the oh the yeah, that's a, that was a dumb is... question. <laughs> <laughs> if thirty percent of the movie is just porn like ship porn you know like obviously i'm gonna defend it because um you know the the backstory behind that for those of you who don't know if you're listening to a star trek podcast about star trek lord x you probably know this but like you know the star trek the motion picture was the first time they redesigned the original enterprise it was a big freaking deal and and they spent major dollars to to dress up the enterprise and make it movie ready right industrial light and magic 
from the ground up designed this brand new filming model. And I still think, and I still stand by this to this day. And it's, it's difficult as somebody who's a, who's a ship nerd. I mean, you know, when I was a little kid, the thing that had me like, you know, just ready to watch another episode of Star Trek, you know, we're talking like seven or eight years old was the spaceships. Like the spaceships were just cool, you know, And, and, and part of that glee has, has stayed a core of my being into, you know, my adult years. And so I, I, I like me some good fictional spaceships. I think they're great. Yeah. There's, it's and a, I it's, have to say, I have to say that the original, the, the refit version of the original TOS Enterprise, so not as it appeared in the, in the TV series, but yeah, as yeah. we saw it in the motion picture, is to this day, I would, I would, I would put it down and defy anybody to, to, to come at me with this. I still think it's probably one of the most visually striking visually impressive ships ever put in anything ever like the way the ship was designed because it captures all of the original like right elements from from the tos enterprise but it refines them to such a really good degree and like it just if the idea is you're going to get in this ship and you're going to go out there and you're just going to go find what's out there you need a ship that's really fast to do it right and the thing looks like it's flying at warp 10 you know standing still like it's just so when they put this in the movie, they wanted you to know how much money they spent on this model, right? And and probably to a problematic degree. Oh yeah, yeah, because, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, we we spend huge runtimes just flying around this ship, and the fact that they went there with the Cerritos and they had the shots back at the crew like over and over and yeah, over again, Phillips and is like crying in a few of them. <laughs> when that happened, I had to pause it because I was laughing so hard because a to have someone crying is great, but B to have it be Billups, the engineer yeah, of the yeah, ship. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Like great. Choice. So, so, so I think what we're saying is great. You cowards at CBS, give us the theatrical cut of this episode. <laughs> I am you embarrassed. Cow- I'm embarrassed to try to put a number on how long I would let that run <laughs> before I skipped ahead. And I don't know that I would, you know, I'm not sure I would either. If- <laughs> I think it'd have to be one of those where you just kind of make yourself a cup of tea, you know? Right, right. I might, I might drift in and out of the room. I might make a sandwich and come back, you know. But it's like I, I don't think I would skip it, you know. Yep. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that. I mean, this this episode was destined to be one of my favorites as soon as that happened because I was I was laughing so hard. I think at one point my wife said, "Are you going to be okay?" Um, and, and and that's you know when when something gets you that good. Um, you know, you're, you're not going to forget it. <laughs> like I was just, I was so happy. Like it was that, it was that kind of like deep, like I was laughing because of what was happening, but it was also, it's the kind that makes you happy. Kind oh of yeah, yeah. 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 It's like when, when a good friend tells you a joke that like really is meant for you, like just, it would be funny generally. Cause it's a funny joke, but it's your friend tells you this thing because it's like, they know you. Um, that was the feeling that I got. Yeah. Now I want to just go and watch that, that, that part again, which is like, yeah, who are we kidding? Of course we would watch two hours of that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yep. We're not, we're not proud. CBS get on that. Yep. Mike McMahon knows what he's talking about. Yep. Well, and they, they even, you know, the little touches of like having the, uh, the, basically the lighting around the ship like you know the almost the jj abrams-esque lens flares and then we've got like spotlights on the ship that make no sense to actually be there but they're there because that's what we're doing in in space dock like it's just so even before we leave the dock we've got this and and 
I was ready to go. Well, so I, I'm as as the person who edits this, I'm not going to be a, a coward, and uh, I'm going to allow you the, as much time as you want to talk about chips here. This could be a two-hour <laughs> episode. So, yeah, I mean, I could probably continue, but but there. I oh, think man. we've already put about ten minutes into it, so. Probably, yeah. So, so basically, we we get the the, the lower decks characters <laughs> playing like film versions of themselves, and, and basically, since this is uh, Mariner's, uh, you know, therapy session, she is the the titular Vindicta, uh, but then <laughs> Tendi and Bionic Five, uh, <laughs> who is who's Rutherford, um, you know, are are on the villains ship, and, and, and Boimler and Chempo and Chempo. <laughs> <laughs> Because Boimler just straight up refuses to go along with it, right? Like yep. even even yep. in a fictional narrative, he's like, "No, I'm not going to do that." So he's on the bridge yeah. of the ship after the yeah after the credits. He well he after the credits he stays with the credits and then falls into the lake where they are um, on jet skis, but they call it something else like space right. ski space something. I forget now, but yeah. Um, so that's how he enters that plot, um, <laughs> which is a very like trekky way to start a movie, right? They mm-hmm. they're jet skiing on a lake yeah it, it's it's basically the star trek five yeah. you know yeah. we're gonna go climb a mountain you know yep. like we're out in in yosemite uh and we're just you know backpacking yeah same thing i also will say that as someone who um i, I think the visuals not just on the ships which we have talked about and not just just on on the characters or any of that stuff um when they switch to the film, right, they, they change the aspect ratio of the um, the video, right, that yes. they are rendering to movie yep. a- aspect. But they also put film effects on it. Um, and I noticed that right away, right? Um, I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time looking at <laughs> image editing programs and, and lots of and trying to fix lots of things like that and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, but to have it in there is, I thought, was just perfect. But there's there's levels of that. And, you know, putting a film grain, a repeating film grain, you know, on, on different um, what would be the different slides of, of film uh, in a reel. Um, that's one thing, right? They go to such depth in this to add. Uh, they, they put chromatic aberration in there in certain scenes in places where that, that would mimic like using uh, a camera that was not focused correctly at different wavelengths of light right uh they they put things in there that are that are essentially filming errors um or or photography errors um which would be more so with something like chromatic aberration but like Mm -hmm. that's not not many people are going to catch those sorts of things and it's not that like you're a trek they're not pitching to trek fans there they're pitching to like film nerds or, or realistically lens nerds um which just i think illustrates the depths they're willing to go to, to make one person writing this happy, which I think is how you should write everything, frankly. Um, But somebody was like, oh, hey, could we do this? I'm really into, you know, film effects or whatever. And somebody said, yeah, go for it. Uh, And they did. So. Well, and I I think you can tell, um, you can tell a project that's like, you know, a passion project or that there's people who are really excited to work on it because you get all those little effects like just thrown in there because, because it's like the writer's room effect, right? Where they're just like throwing stuff around in the script. And then somebody says, 
well, since this is a movie, we need to do. Yeah, yeah. And then you probably get a pile on session, right? Where somebody's yep. like, oh, we got to change the aspect ratio. Yep. Okay. So, and then what about this type of, you know, I mean, what if we had uh, some color fringing? You yep. know, I mean, what if yep. we did did some of that? Okay. Like we got to do that because it's got to look like a film camera. Um, and, and you just get all these notes because everybody is just, yeah. as soon as they're like, we're parodying the films, here we go. But it's like you somebody know. had to sit down and, and figure out how to render that in, right? And the fact mm-hmm. that... In 2020, you were talking about a show that is beautifully rendered, and they are sitting down to try to figure out how to to make it look like it was not even rendered, but filmed in the <laughs> 80s, I guess, yeah. um, is is so brilliant. So, yeah. Actually, well, another wanna... trick about the 80s, we missed a line at the very beginning because um, Mariner says, it's the 80s, we don't have psychiatric problems anymore. And I thought that was a great line. <laughs> I want to I want to mention the uh, what what's kind of a throwaway line about Shempo, but it's re- it's really funny. Like I got a huge, I got a huge belly laugh out of Shempo just in general because it's like again, Boimler was supposed to be there with them on the bad guy ship, so instead we get the first scene where uh, where we meet Vindicta, um, you know, right, and then. <laughs> <laughs> the response that Shempo gets is, I'm Shempo. I was supposed to be played by Boimler. <laughs> his response is, okay, come on. I do not sound like that. I love my captain and I don't want to be doing this. All right, that's not too far off. <laughs> yeah, and he's not around long. He gets he gets the phasered, oh, yeah. yeah, for yep. bringing coffee instead of tea, I think. <laughs> because because this whole episode is really just a, an examination inside of you know what's going on with mariner right like this is yep. because so much so that like it's it's reflected in the holodeck characters and how she reacts to them but it's also reflected in how she treats her friends right i mean yep. her intendee honestly have some tension in this episode because you know mariner's pushing it pretty hard that she has this idea of what tend what a badass tendy should be yep and and it's she's not reading the room right with with her friend she's not getting that like eh, i'm not really into this like you gotta knock it off and I, I thought that was really a good character moment too between the two of them yeah i think so too um and throughout the episode it's a good arc to the end of it um when when they sort of wrap that um I think it's also interesting the Rutherford, like Rutherford seems to be going along in character more so, or more willing to, but then also yeah. as soon as he's like, oh, I could go, I could go tell my boss anything, anything I want. <laughs> he wanders down there and it's just like, you're the best engineer in Starfleet. <laughs> it's like he's, he fits very easily into both those, uh, both those roles. So I thought that, that yeah. arc is great too. Yeah, just I, I love the fact that, yeah, Rutherford's basically like his his fantasy of his interaction with his boss is just to tell him how great his boss is, how much he likes working with him and and then continue to work with him. It was like it was so like simultaneously wholesome, but also really kind of fun because it's like that's that's Rutherford. Right. Yep. You know, yep. that's the, that's who the guy is. Yeah, it's consistent through the entire series is like he wants to be just there repairing something and like doing crazy stuff to make something work like the teleporters. Right. And much ado about Baumler. Like he wants to teleport. Yeah at work you know a half a second quicker um and if you could spend a day doing that and get the teleporter to be a half second quicker like that's a day well spent um well and and i think with a character like rutherford and a character like boimler you could be in danger of having them be a little bit too samey right because they're they're both pretty by the book guys but they're they do a really nice job of separating them, right? Where yeah. like Boimler in that situation would be so worried about trying to kiss ass and 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 you know get ahead, you know quote unquote, and and they really do a nice job of selling that like Rutherford is just 
you know, he just wants to do the work. Like he's just so happy just doing the work that, you know, his compliments are genuine instead of forced. Um, you know, his work ethic is, is because he just really likes, you know, scrubbing the plasma conduits, you know, like he, he just wants to, to do that where, where Boimler is, is clearly like just trying to get somewhere. Yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting point that they're like, they're both relatively high on like conscientiousness. They're both relatively yep. high on like agreeableness. Um, and then it would probably be neuroticism, right? Boimler is much higher on neuroticism and Rutherford is like very much the opposite, right? Very high emotional stability, right? He's a cyborg, right? He's right, exceptionally right, yeah. high on emotional stability. Yeah. Um, and just having that split on, on something like that allows you to get two very, very different characters out of it. Which is, yeah, yes. that's a great, that's a really good point. Yeah. Well, and we have, uh, we've got a bunch of cool scenes where basically the whole premise of this episode is, is, um, you know, Mariner playing Vindicta is, is, you know, basically doing what every Star Trek villain ever <laughs> yes, <yes>. does, apparently, <laughs> which is just like, I have, I, I seek vengeance against you for reasons. Yep. Um, and, you know, we have the, the shootout in the mess hall. I can't remember if it's then where, where Shax drops, you know, one of my favorite. Oh, lines. I was just about to say that we forgot to, <laughs> I'll let you have it, but I was just yeah. about to call you out on missing this line. <laughs> <laughs> it was so like, again, another one where, where I probably laughed a little bit too hard and yep. I had to like pause the video, but it's like, when you get to hell, tell the paw race that Shax sent you <laughs> special delivery straight from Bajor. <laughs> yep. Oh, the paw race. <laughs> it's so great. You know, again, just these call outs that they're just perfectly nailing because you know the bajorans do not worship deities like we do they they worship you know beings that exist yep. in in the bajoran wormhole and the parates are the bad ones of those yep. <laughs> yep. You know? so it's just it's so good oh, oh man so good. yeah we also missed earlier um that um mariner as as vindicta is uh is quoting the tempest in there uh, yes. in a long line of villains quoting Shakespeare. So, and I love that the bridge crew like just doesn't know what the hell's going on. I think, I think is is it? I think Billups calls it out. Is like, is that the Tempest? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is, uh, I believe, also um, it is. It's, it's specifically, I think, doesn't Khan pull some quotes from the Tempest as well? Is he the um, Tempest or he's uh, Moby Dick? Yeah, yeah. That, I think it's, um, uh, Chang. Chang quotes. Oh, what is he? He quotes something. It's definitely Shakespeare. But Khan, I think, is all Moby Dick based. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Because um, yes, Chang also does uh, have that line in Star Trek Six um, when he says, uh, "I think it's him who says, you 'You've not heard Shakespeare until you've heard it in its original Klingon,' <laughs> <laughs> which is just you know fantastic." Uh, yeah, there's a lot of comparisons to General Chang here. Well, um, yeah, 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 you're right. It is Chang because uh, Chang is the one who pulls our revels now are ended, Kirk. That's that's what it is. Yep, yep. That's what I'm thinking of. So, you know, you've got your, your spouting quotes. You're doing all that kind of stuff. There's um, also it's the mess hall, I think, where <laughs> Mariner just because she's going whole hog as vindicta she at some point pulls out a, a borg head? drone's head <laughs> like a severed borg yep. head that she apparently just keeps around uh and creates a force field which uh you know basically and it's also blocks. a bomb yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and it's i think it's there where um where tendy finally walks away right where where she's yes. upset yep. you know yep. with the uh with the stereotype basically because um she wants tendy to lean into the orion space pirate 
you know, thing. And and it's it's if you think about that on its face, right? If you had a friend who was represented by a certain walk of life, and then you were like, let's play into the stereotypical thing that your people do. Like that's just deeply offensive, yeah. right? And, like and that's it's a great um, spin on that. That like in a lot of track, a lot of early tracks, so TOS certainly, um, and and to some degree even TNG and later. Right, you yeah. you get these monolithic cultures that like all Klingons do this and all Romulans do this and like even like, the the Ferengi, frankly, um, yeah. that you have these monolithic cultures where no one is different in these cultures, and so this is a great um, you know putting that on its head to say. Yeah, just because, and she even says at the end, like, yeah, just because like most Orions are pirates and stuff, um, like that's not me, uh, and yeah. and that's very heartening to see in Trek to that they're making these distinctions, um, and and Trek, for as good as it is in a lot of places, um, misses at that a lot, um, in the sort of classic D and D way, which is also a miss of like you know this is this is this group we're talking about and here's the page that has all their character traits or culture traits or you know um is is limiting in many ways yeah i think i think it's because you know so much of science fiction and, and fantasy for that matter right like they use you know all these fictional peoples um really as kind of a lens into the human soul right sure. so so each of these people are supposed to represent different aspects of humanity but in doing that, you have to the shorthand for it to make it readable for the audience is to be like, oh, these people are all like this. These yeah. fictional people that we've created are all like this. And and yeah, you're right. I think it does a really big service to um, the universe in general when they can world build onto that even further and just be like, no, of course, not all Orions yeah. are space pirates or not all Ferengi are trying to, you know, cut some sort of really weird deal yeah. with you. And, 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 and I will say that they do have characters throughout, right? Spock even, right? Spock is a compelling character because he's Vulcan, but not entirely Vulcan. And, mm -hmm. and Worf is a very compelling character, right? Because he's a Klingon, but like, very different than um, the Klingons that have been painted in TOS and even, even Garrick, right? Garrick in DS9, um, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. you, you have so many good characters like that, that we could come up with, but yeah, they do still kind of paint cultures as pretty monolithic. So, yeah, no, there's, there's, um, yeah, it's it's sort of like the beginnings of of that are when, when a group of people are introduced in Star Trek as like, we've never met them before that's usually when you get the oh this is the way this society works yeah yeah but then if they become a recurring you know people that we deal with you know over multiple seasons then then we store sort of start to get more of the the flavor brought into that yeah and even so much so like the klingons in star trek 6 like um there's that great scene you know when they're all gathered at the mess hall sure dining on the enterprise uh, and, and Chancellor Gorkin's daughter says, uh, so she calls out Chekhov, right? Because Chekhov is like, we have, we believe that all aliens have a claim to human rights or something like this. And, and she makes the point where she's like, if you could only hear yourselves in alien, you know, the very term is racist, right? Yeah, human yeah. rights. Um, so yeah, Trek does, it, it's kind of on both ends of the scale. If you're an alien of the week, you're going to be like, hey, this is the, this planet. Um, and then, you know, but, but when you're. Oh, the Edo. Yeah, right yeah exactly we we run around half clothed and, and don't trip there otherwise <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna kill you um yeah and, and so you know back to this episode we 
you know, Mariner again continues to take it too far. And eventually, I, I don't even remember, how does she basically destroy the Cerritos? So she the Cerritos... gets on the bridge and um, yeah. she detonates the warp core of her ship. Is how, oh, that's, that's right. the first, uh, that's the big fireball explosion, the, the like movie fireball, where then the ship is uh, is knocked down into atmosphere. When we get shades of um, Star Trek Generations, right? Where yep. we have the Cerritos, just the saucer section, you know, hurtling through the atmosphere. I will say, and and they do, I mean, it's a movie, um, is the, the short answer. But boy, the reason that you don't see a saucer section like running on its edge like that is those angular forces. Those angular forces would, would kill everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, but it does give a great line later. Um which is Billups and, and Rutherford again talking about like um, talking about what happened and you know the crew what happened to the crew and um, Rutherford saying like I beamed everyone off using blah 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 and uh, Billups asks like you can do that and he says yeah it's a movie you could beam anything in a movie <laughs> well and and just this finale like the the references they're able to pull for for individual movies is just kind of astonishing because yes. we get you know we get references to the TOS movies we get references to the next gen movies we have a fight on a catwalk that looks like it's pulled you know straight from um the, that was basically nemesis right where yeah, we've got yeah, Riker yeah. fighting the Reman and the bowels of the enterprise e um i you think know, we, we've uh, Marina even has a point to that that like she says because the first, one of the first things she programs, Boimer's looking over his shoulder and he says something about a catwalk. And they're not on a catwalk at the end, right? They're on the bridge and it's tipped over, so they're on like consoles. Oh, yeah, yeah. But she yeah. complains to the other version of herself that like I was supposed to fight her on a catwalk. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, and and I love the the twist of having because this is the first time, you know, in this conclusion, this is the first time that we actually see Mariner because yeah. You know, Boimler, again, to his credit, if he's going to program the entire crew, obviously, if, if you know, Mariner isn't playing herself, she's going to be there. So Vin, so Mariner playing Vindicta, the actual Mariner, is fighting, you know, the holographic version of herself that was programmed to pretty good accuracy by, by Boimler. So you have this showdown where the entire episode, uh, Mariner's been playing this evil villain, you know, trashing everything, and then she has to confront this version of herself, like this representation of herself, which I thought was a, a cool way to, to, to conclude this episode. This, this was a great twist too, because for, yeah, I don't know, 15, I don't know, who knows how long, um, 15, 30 seconds maybe. I was like, oh wait, is that the actual Mariner? And she programmed this villain version of herself and now she's like here to fight the villain version of herself. Um, and then the twist back is, no, this she's actually the villain version and this is the simulated version. Um, But the fact that you can kind of get caught up in that, uh, I I think is, is telling of again, how well this is kind of written, but um, that is a great twist to have Mariner kind of uh, beat herself because she sets the self-destruct, right. And then delays and and lets other Mariner beat her up while the the ship is counting down to self-destruct. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and just the the idea that that a version of yourself, you know, is going to tell you things, you know, that that you're maybe not ready to hear, or or I just I love that that scene where where basically you know the holographic mariner tells the real mariner, you know, why you act like you don't care, 
you know, and, and, and just, and, and basically to, to obscure the fact that she really does care. And, and I thought this was a really nice, because Mariner is always kind of that character where you're in danger of her going like too far, where she's basically being like too cool for school to the point where you're like, you know, she's always pushing that envelope. I don't think she ever gets to the point where, where she's off putting by the audience, but that's a dangerous line to walk. Right. And, and I feel like this last scene does a really good job of, again, pulling her back to reality. Because, like, this whole episode, Mariner's being kind of a dick. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like, the whole time. And, and I think she's really in danger of going too far over that edge, right? Where it's like, why do, why do people continue to hang out with her if she's this tough to deal with? Um, and, and this scene kind of brings it right back, right? It, it's, the, it's exposing the real heart of the character you know, not this outer shell that she kind of projects into the universe. And and I thought it was a really, you know, again, for, for an animated show that's throwing all these goofy references out here and just, you know, you're, you're laughing really hard. You know, I mean, this one really had me going um, to, to wrap it on a character moment like this, that, that made you actually kind of feel something for, for one of these characters. Like I, I just, I'm continually impressed at that line that they're, they're able to walk between, you know, yeah, dramatic yeah. tension and, and comedic, you know, relief. Like it's, you know, obviously it's a comedy, but they're able to get some moments in here like this that really kind of make you care about the characters, which I think is really cool. Um, and not a lot of shows are able to kind of do both. Yep. You know, right. Well, and yeah, and, and it goes, yeah, it's just so much good. <laughs> so much good in this one. Um, yes. Boimler, Boimler's arc um, as is about cookies. <laughs> yeah. Well, so did you catch right? Um, when they first are attacking, uh, Ransom gets shot and killed, right? And yes. Ransom's last words are like he 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 says something like he should make her cookies, but then he says like watch out, she's allergic to, and then he gets shot. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yep. And he's and Boyd like allergic to what? <laughs> um, the, the worst possible thing that could have happened to him is yeah. like right before he gets that piece of information. Oh no, I have to know how to make the Captain and cookies. So he brings her cookies at the end, and uh, we get Jet back, right? Holographic Jet, um, who tackles him because she is allergic to chocolate, um, and he made her <laughs> chocolate chip cookies. And uh, yep, just yep, great that he's getting dragged off for being a potential assassin. Um, who's and he gets thrown off a cliff. That's right. As the as a uh, as the Cerritos explodes, he's falling yep. off a cliff, and then is in yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, and and I love too that the fact that you know we get real therapy here. Um, we get uh, you know Mariner and, and Freeman have a nice moment too, where they sort of you know this interaction with uh, Mariner having this interaction with herself you know, on the holodeck has made her realize that she, you know, she really does care for her mom. So there's this really nice moment between, you know, Captain Freeman and, and Mariner where they, you know, they fist bump and everything. But I, I also love that the last thing that we see is um, two things. And, and again, to bring me back to the point where I'm laughing out loud, we have Vindicta rising out of a photon torpedo, vowing <laughs> revenge which is which is great and then she's immediately shot dead by, by Leonardo by da, da Vinci, Vinci. <laughs> and he winks to the audience then we flash cut to the closing credits where Rutherford, Tendy, Mariner and Boimler are signing their yep. names in cursive which uh you know what bothers me the most about this is I think people are going to watch this 
And then if people are just like not huge Star Trek fans, they'll probably be like, is that an homage to the Avengers movie? Mm. And it's like, no, <laughs> Avengers lifted that from Star Trek six. It's I think yep. it's actually confirmed in an interview because they liked it so much on, you know, the way that Star Trek six wrapped the original cast's contributions yep. to, the, yep. to the franchise that they used that at the end of Avengers Endgame. So so I just I, I was just again howling with laughter and i think i even clapped a little right <laughs> like in my <laughs> in my basement watching this by my well my wife and i were both watching it and again my wife is just looking at me like she watches star trek with me but you know i mean this was shockful this was just, yeah it's I, just have you so seen great. so i think it's, it's it's linked on memory alpha but have you seen the um the movie poster they put together for this uh no i'll give you as much time as you need to find it okay uh is it oh my god Oh, this is great. <laughs> oh, wow. So we've got, oh, wow, 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 wow. Okay. So yeah, we, ha oh, this is perfect. This is so good. <laughs> so good. It is, it's, um, it's a mishmash of, of, yeah, go look for this. It's on memory uh, alpha. If you was find... it Douglas station? Douglas station is the, uh, star base, right? That they first yep. go to. Yeah. We've um, got that in the upper left and they've got, and we have, we, we've got the ship, the Cerritos yep. in the upper right. The Borg head. Mm-hmm. Shampo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then we have uh we have Vindicta's cruiser at the bottom, basically facing directly forward with its torpedo tube lit up. And then we have all the crew in inappropriate action uh shots. Oh my god, this is so good. Uh <laughs> for some reason we have a board cube. Yeah, I don't know why for... the board cube's there. <laughs> but again, like that's also a good callback because like, you know, a lot of times in in TOS movie era posters specifically, there's just some random crap in there, and you're like, wait a minute, why is that there? um oh my god this is so good yeah, yeah. I, I mariner, want this poster it's a good poster mariner holodeck programs presents a mariner production of crisis point colon the rise of vindicta <laughs> star trek lower decks oh wow 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 oh my god this is there's so much to unpack in this one because it's just they just hit this one out of the park you're right too if i could tomorrow like have at my house a crisis point rise of vindictive poster like i would be ordering that right now yeah i'm sure they'll sell this, this. You, you cowards at cbs sell yeah, us this listen, poster do it do it you cowards do it um oh man i think that's i think that's crisis well point, right? so you missed the other reveal at the end of the episode which is very important um because boimler goes back into the program right to be like well let's just wrap this up and freeman oh, is having man. the um sort of you know, funeral-esque words for Mariner, in which, of course, she would reveal to the crew that Mariner is her daughter. Yes. And Boimler learns this uh, secret, that a very good twist there, that then Boimler screws up his interview um, because he is completely flustered with that information. Well, it's because in revealing that information too oh, she um, also says yeah like if anyone if had they, ever found out i'm not they, sure what i would do i probably court martial, court -martial them. them they'd probably be expelled from starfleet and, and boimler's just <laughs> through the entire interview oh man it's so great he's he's literally cursed with the knowledge yes yeah. so good which oh, in the, the preview for the next episode immediately shows up is the way the next one starts so that's right so when we we will get to that next time in episode 10 no small parts which will be the finale to 
uh, this first season of Lower Decks, and I I hope that it is of of this quality because oh my gosh, this is this is probably the most fun I've had. Yeah, this is such watching... a good episode. This is such a good episode. Oh man, so good. So uh, that's going to do it for our discussion of uh, Crisis Point. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, the best way is to find us uh, find our website hi-fi sci-fi podcast.com where you can find links to our socials links to uh, the rss feed for our podcast uh, we're on pretty much all podcatchers out there if we're not drop us a line let us know and also uh, wherever you're getting your podcast make sure you get, leave us a review doesn't matter what you put in the text just make sure you give us all the stars all the <laughs> push, all the push. points nice shot da vinci <laughs> I, I really hope that one shows up <laughs> or, or or the uh, mark twain has a gun that's Mark Twain be my has favorite. a gun. <laughs> so until next time, I'm Bernsey. And I'm Paul. And, um, you know, <laughs> we all want to act like we're a Mariner, but most of us are probably Shempo. <laughs> what I want to say is, you cowards at CBS, give us the theatrical cut. Give <laughs> two hours of just ship porn. Do it. Do it. We'll watch it. Yes. Not even on a dare. We'll just watch it. <laughs>